Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hello, everybody. I am John Minigan. I am the writer of today's episode, and you are listening to Gather by the Ghostlight. Right, greetings and good day. This is Gathered by the Ghostlight, original stories for radio theater. I'm Jonathan Cook, your host, producer, and sometimes voice actor on this thing. And welcome back. Or if this is your first time listening, then welcome aboard. I know it's been a month or so since we wrapped up season three, but here we are today with this first episode launching season four. Uh, that's right, this is the fourth year of this podcast. And you guys are amazing. You know, I greatly appreciate you being here and, and tuning in, you know, newcomers and longtime listeners alike. And for the newcomers listening who may not know exactly what you're getting into, this is a podcast of audio plays. Audio plays written by established and emerging playwrights from around the world. So most of the plays you're going to hear were originally written as stage plays, you know, many of them being award winners with hefty production histories and others being brand new plays where you're going to hear the world premiere right here on this podcast. And today we're going to launch season four with a romantic comedy written by playwright John Minigan. His play that you're going to hear today is called A Monogamy of Swans. You are about to meet a young woman named Ellie. After breaking up with her fiancé, Jimmy, Ellie has gone to Boston's public garden to kill the swans. But her ex, Violet, arrives just in time with a better alternative. Now, gather around the ghost light, sit back and enjoy. This is A Monogamy of Swans, written by John Minigan. And be sure to stick around after the story to hear an interview with this writer. You freaking no good. Ugh, come on, come on. Ugh, my little bastards, I'm gonna get you. So help me God. Yeah, you keep your distance. You know what's good for you. Ellie? Oh shit. Ellie, is that you down here? No, it's not me. Ellie. Oh, for Christ's sake. What are you doing here? I tried your apartment first. I figured you'd probably hear. How do you figure I'm at the public garden? Because I saw on Facebook. I figured something was, you know, I figured I'd better drive down here and see what you were doing. You drove all the way down from Haverhill just to see what I was doing? Because I saw what you put on Facebook. That's them? Little bastards. You shouldn't put on Facebook you're gonna kill them. What'd you do? Poison the bread? Don't believe everything you see on the internet, all right? I'm just feeding them. Why are you feeding them if you're gonna kill them? That is so like you, you know? Asking questions, because you always gotta have your information. Well, let me tell you something. Life is not just a bunch of questions. Because life was just a bunch of questions. You'd spend all your time asking them, and maybe you'd get an answer, and maybe the answer you get wouldn't be good for anybody, and you'd realize maybe you should have kept your fat mouth shut! That's a rock. I know it's a rock. Are you gonna throw a rock at the swans? What, you want me to throw it at you? What have you got against them? That's another good question. Why don't we ask? Hey, freaking swans! I'm thinking I might throw this rock and it might hit you, and Vi here would like an explanation for why I would do that. 
Do you have an explanation, hmm? They got no answer. Filled with secrets. Filled with deception. I'm sorry about you and Jimmy. I don't want to talk about Jimmy. I'm sorry he left. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're probably all broken up about that. He didn't deserve you. Is that why you drove all the way down from Haverhill? Because Jimmy didn't deserve me? I drove down because you put on Facebook are you going to kill the swans. The best thing I could do this morning would be to go down to the public garden and kill the freaking swans. Who writes freaking on Facebook? <clears throat> do not throw the rock. It wasn't their fault he left. That was an experiment. You going out with Jimmy. It was not an experiment. It was an experiment. You tried it and it didn't work out. Now drop the rock. <sighs> there, happy. Hey, hands to yourself, all right? I thought maybe you needed a hug. It didn't mean anything. You were the experiment, Vi. Not Jimmy. We were together for two years and that's an experiment? Then we broke up. I, I was all set up to marry Jimmy. You tried and it didn't work. Yeah, yeah Jimmy left then you drive down from Haverhill because you think maybe all of a sudden I'm gonna be, you know. I drove down because you kill these swans, they're gonna lock you up. I'm feeding them. See? You definitely didn't poison the bread. What kind of person do you think I am? I don't know, but they're keeping the distance now. You see what you did? For the reception, my mother was going to have us put swans on the wedding cake. You know, instead of man and wife. Two swans kissing with the necks making that little heart shape. And she wanted this ice sculpture of swans, only with the bodies all filled up with, like, honeydew melon. That's nice. It's not nice. You know how long an ice sculpture is going to last? You get a swan with a melted neck and a gut full of melon. That's supposed to be romantic. What a stupid woman. What a stupid woman with a stupid idea. It's because they mate for life. That's the other internet thing that is completely wrong. What are you talking about? Swans, mating for life. Not true. That's supposed to be like a scientific fact. Well, the scientists forgot the detail that swans pretty much all look alike. They assumed it was always the same two swans. They screw around like everybody else. Little bastards. Ugh! Where'd you hear this? From Jimmy. Was he... You know... His upstairs neighbor. Oh. I met that one. I hate her. And his downstairs neighbor. No. Yeah. I hate her too. And that one across the street from him undoes a top when she tans. At least now you know. And the kind of girl at Duncan with the side ponytail. Huh? Her mother. Jesus. I said we're supposed to get married Thanksgiving. We're supposed to have the swans on the wedding cake. Well, Ellie, you may not be aware of this, but swans, contrary to popular blah, blah, blah. You saw it on the internet. That's just what they're like. So he says, you lousy freaking role models. I mean men, Ellie. It's what they're like. He was an experiment. You tried. Listen, why? Where's Jimmy right now? He must have seen Facebook, right? He knew what you were going to do. And where is he? Did he come down here to make sure you didn't do something terrible? I would have thrown the rock at him. He would have deserved it. Come here. Sit down. Fine. You said you thought we shouldn't be together. You met this guy, Jimmy, and you thought maybe things were going to be different. It didn't work out. Why'd you let me try? Because I know about us. I know how I feel about you. I figured you'd go ahead, try being with a guy. It's not going to last because I know how you feel about me. I don't think you and me. These swans? I looked them up. They're called Romeo and Juliet. 
You looked on the internet. This one's true. Well, Juliet's lucky there's just the two of them, because Romeo would be flapping around with all the others. They're both girls. What are you talking about? Seriously. Two girl swans. They've been together, like, ten years. How do they know this? Swans pretty much all look alike. They are the same pair. <laughs> no kidding. Massachusetts, right? <laughs> I don't know about Maine for life, but ten years? I figure that's pretty good for swans. They know how they feel about each other. I guess they do. Hey, give me some of the bread. I scared them off. They're not gonna... Just give me some. Swans, come here. Swanny swans. Come here. You want some bread? Swans. Come here. You're telling me you drove all the way down from Haverhill just so I wouldn't do something stupid? Yeah, I did. Look, look, look. They're coming in. My turn to feed them. Um, maybe you better not give them that bread. Why not? <gasps> no. You didn't really... Poison the bread. Did you? <laughs> of course I didn't. I should hope not. Here they are. Hey, look at that. Like a little heart shaped with the necks. I didn't think they really did that. <laughs> I guess they know how they feel about each other. I guess they do. That was A Monogamy of Swans, written by John Minigan. It was performed by Devin McSherry as Ellie and Shelby Lauren Smith as Violet. Right, so with me now is the writer of the story you just heard. He was the winner of the 2020 New American Voices Festival, the winner of the 2019 Clouder Competition, and he's been a finalist in many well-established playwriting festivals all over the place. Ladies and gentlemen, this is John Minigan. How are you, sir? I'm doing well, Jonathan. Thank you for having me here. And uh, so this is your second time on the podcast. Uh, mm -hmm. Last year, we did your play Closing Doors. Right. And yeah. now you are back with your other play, A Monogamy of Swans. Mm -hmm. And I'm kind of doing something that I haven't done before. Um, we have another guest here. It's one of the actresses that performed in A Monogamy of Swans. And mm -hmm. she was also in Closing Doors, right. uh, coincidentally. Right. Uh, this is Devin McSherry. How you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for being here. So uh, last time you were here, we already went into uh, your background and and how you were a teacher, or you still are a teacher, right? Uh, I am. I'm I'm sort of teaching teachers at this point, working with student teachers. Um, and today I just kind of want to dive right into uh, this play that everyone just heard, A Monogamy of Swans. And uh, before we get too far into it, uh, there's something in the script that one of the characters mentions. Um, now, I'm not from Boston. I don't really know much about the Boston area, but Violet mentions the two swans at the Boston Public Garden, Romeo and yep. Juliet, <laughs> yep. two girl swans that have been together for over 10 years. Now, when I first read this in the script, I thought, that's nice little creative writing on John Minigan's part. That's a nice little story <laughs> element. But doing some research, that's a real thing. And at the time that it's you wrote this, yeah, and at the time that you wrote this, um, they had been, people had noticed them together, these two girl swans, for over 10 mm -hmm. years. And yeah, and the way you incorporated that and how it parallels kind of the relationship that Ellie and Violet have um, and the whole theme of, you know, we know how we feel about each other. That was just such a, a such a nice, clever way to include that. Yeah, it was such a gift, too, uh, in, in terms of the process, because I had been, this is a play that it, 
you know, sometimes a 10 minute play happens really quickly. This one did not. This one went through multiple permutations and it took me like two months to get a draft because the characters kept changing. They were going to be swan researchers at one point. And, you know, uh, eventually they got to where they were, but I didn't really have a way to close the piece. And so I was just noodling around doing research and discovered the story of Romeo and Juliet, the two swans that they were both girls. And I'm like, Oh, of course, there's the ending. There it is. <laughs> so <laughs> I feel like they gave me the ending. That That's awesome. So being in Boston, you hadn't really heard about the two swans until you kind of did your own research. Yeah. I, well, when I read it, it, it struck a, uh, like it rang a bell with me. So it may be something that I had heard mm-hmm. years before, uh, or I guess early in their relationship together. Um, but it, it, it had sort of fallen out of my mind. And then I realized like, oh, that's, that's who I'm writing about. I'm writing about the, <laughs> the two girls and the lagoon, <laughs> whether it's Ellie and Vi or whether it's the two swans. Nice. So as far as the process went from this being an idea to getting it on paper, how did that work for you uh, when you were getting this play written? <laughs> it was uh, initially I was out uh, on a canoe ride with my son and uh, on a pond that's near us and we saw a swan. And then later we saw a swan and we're like, is that the same swan? Is it a different swan? Like swans kind of all look alike. Is that why they think that swans are monogamous? Because they all kind of look alike. And I was like, oh, I think there's a play in that. (laughs) So that was the the start of it. Um, And it was originally, as I said, it was going to be two swan researchers who were struggling in their connection together and trying to find the solution through the, through the swans. Uh, And then it it kept changing and kept changing and kept changing. And the more, Boston it became, uh, the clearer the story became to me. Nice. So Devin, since you're mm-hmm. here, when I, yeah. when you first read the script, when I sent it to you, what was your first impression of it and the character that I asked you to play? What, when, when you read through it, what, what did you think about it? Uh, well, re- reading through it, uh, I thought there was a lot of funny lines and, interesting uh parallels like you were talking about between the the characters and the swans and uh i i enjoyed it and then i started getting worried about the boston accent (laughs) (laughs) yes the the pressure that was when i first emailed her and shelby i was like okay now the characters are based in boston and i just i want to stay faithful to that Uh, i know this is a lot of pressure but could you guys start working on your boston accents and then both of them sent me videos were like is this good i was like you know what it's convincing enough (laughs) we're we're gonna do it best you you got a little extra time to work on it before recording day um but yeah they they did uh they did such a great great job with it um and yeah so thank you challenge for sure There were, it was a, a couple of times where I'm like, how do you say experiment with a Boston accent? There's oh, yeah. just a couple yeah. of random words. Like I never would have thought of how to say that until I had to say it. <laughs> <laughs> so hopefully it comes through. Now, uh, there's another play you wrote. Uh, you mentioned it last time you were here, um, The Queen of Sad Mischance. Now, mm-hmm. last year when you mentioned it, I hadn't read it, but I, I got a chance to read it earlier this week. And it is such... <laughs> A smartly written play. And again, it's another one of those plays that it looks like you did your research um, with Shakespeare mm-hmm. and Queen Margaret and all that. And um, man, the, the script alone is, has won so many awards and it's been a, a finalist in, in so many different festivals. And I think you've had it workshopped at three different theaters. You've had stage mm-hmm. readings at two other ones. 
But from what I understand, you haven't found a home for a world premiere yet. And that is just sad yeah. to me because <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it is it, such it a is. great play. <laughs> It so, is very sad to me as well. <laughs> so this is for any theater companies out there listening. I just want you to can, can you give us the brief rundown of sure of that play because I, I I want I I would love to see that play on stage. Yeah, so would I. Uh, first of all, I'll just say it is easy to produce. It's three characters, one setting, uh, nine scenes over the course of an academic year. And it's the story of Kim, who is a really gifted and ambitious biracial college senior at a women's college who envisions for herself a future in academia. She's particularly interested in the image of women in Shakespeare's plays. And she gets a chance to have a year-long research assistantship with Professor Beverly Norton, who is sort of an icon in the field of feminist Shakespeare criticism. Uh, but Beverly, the professor, has early onset Alzheimer's. Um, and the struggle becomes for Kim, like, how do we accomplish the task that the scholar is trying to write? She's trying to write a book about Shakespeare's Queen Margaret uh, and preserve my ambition as she gets caught up in the, the machinations of how, how academia kind of grinds people up, um, and in particular, how this relationship with her mentor uh, grinds her up. Um, and she ends up making a lot of difficult choices and then a really big choice at the end. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, I, uh, fortunately in the last 10 days, I have had two full script requests from two different theaters. So once again, I, uh, I'm hopeful it was slated to premiere at a theater on the West coast in April of 2022. They cast two of the three roles, had a director and the crew and, you know, production folks in place uh, and they couldn't cast the third role. And they said the act the person that we want is available next April. So we'll postpone it to April, 2023. That was the last I heard from them. Uh, and they did not oh, right, so, <laughs> do the so, show. So any, any theater companies out there, this is an award-winning script. Um, <laughs> it's great. Uh, yeah, definitely it, you reach out to John Minigan and, um, or get on the new play exchange, which is where I, I read it. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it's a awesome script. Um, and you have a, a new, uh, the Tall Tales of Blackburn Tavern. Now, I've only seen the poster yeah. for this, but I saw that it's getting produced in September. Yes. And it was actually commissioned by the the Gloucester Stage Company. Yeah. Um, so tell us about, about that that you got coming up. Sure. That was, I'm still pinching myself on that one. I love Gloucester Stage Company. Um, it's sort of been a, a theater that I've wanted to work at. They did a reading of Queen of Sadness Chance. It's one of the theaters that did a reading. Um, and it's the... 400th anniversary of the first European settlement in Gloucester. So there's sort of a citywide commemoration of 400 years plus, because of course there were people there before the Europeans arrived. Um, so as part of the year long celebration, the theater wanted to do something. Uh, and so they contacted me based on work that I had done on an adaptation of the legend of Sleepy Hollow uh, about a year ago and said, would you be interested in adapting a bunch of Gloucester lore and legends for the stage? Uh, and I said, sure, that <laughs> sounds like a great project. It terrifies me. I don't know how to do it. I don't know any of these legends that you're talking about. Um, so it was a ton of research. Uh, and it's been a great process so far. The theater has been super supportive. We had a table read of draft two at the end of April. Uh, and that was great. It went well and it gave me a lot of really good actionable notes. Um, so I'm, I'm close to the end of draft three on that. Uh, and it's a lot of fun. It's four actors, uh, story theater style. Uh, there's some music, there's puppetry, there's projections. Um, it's, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Nice. Nice. Okay. So along with that, 
because you said that's also an adaptation and you you've done quite a few adaptations so two-part question mm -hmm. yeah what is the pressure like of being commissioned <laughs> to write a play <laughs> Because uh, it's like, it's a, a lot of times it's not that you had the idea. It's like someone came to you right. and you have to, okay, this is it. So what what, right. what is being commissioned like for you? It's terrifying. Uh, <laughs> the uh, the previous commission I got, I was commissioned uh, early in the pandemic. The Lyric Stage Company of Boston decided that they would, they weren't going to go to Zoom theater. They were going to go to audio theater. So they commissioned a series of playwrights to write walking plays. And the idea is that... Uh, it's an audio play. Uh, you can put your headphones in and stream it and walk the path that the characters are walking in Boston and experience what they experience with, you know, Easter eggs. Like as you're walking by this thing, they will mention what that thing is, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, but the idea was that I would have two weeks to write the draft of a 10 to 15 minute play, but I had to use a character from the previous play, which was also being written. So I had to wait until it was done to know what I could write about. <laughs> like I knew, I knew the part of the, it was the Rose Kennedy Greenway, which is from near the coast in Boston, near the, near the waterfront. Um, so I, I knew the area, but I didn't know who the characters were going to be or what their concerns were going to be. And I had to wait. And I know the night that I got the play before mine, uh, and then my, my two week clock started, I, I did not sleep a wink that night. I was like, <laughs> Oh my God, they made such a mistake. Why did they ask me to do it? <laughs> uh, and then of course the next morning when I got up and started to write, it's like, Oh yeah, I'm going to sit and write. And, and yeah, there's already a character here. So I don't have to do that work. It's going to be easier. I just need to continue that story. Nice. So, it, it goes from terror to fun, ideally. <laughs> uh, so the other part of that question is, uh, so you've done, quite a few adaptations you did a hamlet you did like a nor hamlet um you yeah. did legend of sleepy hollow <laughs> right. um so when you're writing an adaptation obviously you want to put kind of your own spin on things uh, so mm -hmm. what is your process for that you know staying faithful to the source material but also introducing mm. your own fresh take on it uh, right what, what is right. the challenge of that or what, how do you go about what what is your process yeah they, those two were really really different the first was uh Except for the fact that they were both written for the same actor to play <laughs> the lead or the Legend of Sleepy Hollow was a solo show uh, for him. Um, so with Noir Hamlet, it was just, he had suggested at one point, like, could, could you write a full length noir comedy? Because he'd been in a short noir comedy of mine. And I, I kept thinking about it and thinking about it. And yeah, I've taught a lot of Shakespeare. And I said, oh, Hamlet, Hamlet's a detective story. He's trying to figure out who killed his dad and, and you know, get the goods on the guy and get revenge. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, that could, that could work as a noir. Uh, so then it was just a matter of like playing in the land of noir and making the, the Hamlet story work in 1949, Los Angeles. Uh, with Sleepy Hollow, it was different. And I think the thing for me, I initially said no, that I wasn't going to do it because I couldn't figure out why I wanted to tell that story. Um, and I went back and the more time I spent with the original Washington Irving story, the more I realized, oh, Washington Irving is, he's like one of the first American authors creating literature for a brand new country. Uh, and he's warning us about like Rip Van Winkle is about like, don't fall asleep at the wheel politically, like know what's going on in terms of leadership. One of the first questions Rip Van Winkle is faced with when he wakes up after 20 years is who did you vote for? I'm like, wow, that feels really relevant. Um, <laughs> And I realized that Sleepy Hollow is really about disinformation, uh, about people manipulating the truth to get things that they want. And suddenly it was like, oh, I know what story I want to tell. Um, and I can tell that story using the bones of a Sleepy Hollow story. 
But it's tricky because it's, you know, that one's narrative. At least Hamlet was already a play. Uh, Sleepy Hollow is a narrative. And the most important scene in The Legend of Sleepy Hollow doesn't exist in the original story. It's what actually happens around the campfire with uh, Brom Bones and Katrina Van Tassel and Ichabod Crane. So that became the fun uh, of like, what is that 20 minute scene that between these three characters? Uh, and how do I write it so that one actor is going to perform all three roles? All right. So Devin, do you have any questions from Mr. Minigan here? Uh, yeah, actually, uh, you were talking about how you are a teacher of teachers. So do you have any like quick tips for writers? Like for improv, they say, never say no. Is there a quick tip for writing? Yeah, it's similar. Uh, there is kind of a, a yes and that happens when you're writing as well. Uh, and that's giving yourself permission to just write down whatever is coming and not edit it at first. Uh, um, let the first draft be the first draft. Uh, I've recently, a friend, uh, Daniel Ho, who's a playwright, suggested the term spaghetti draft, which I really love. Uh, <laughs> it's like you're throwing stuff against the wall to see what sticks. Uh, there you go. And so I've become really into like, I, this is just the spaghetti draft. I don't owe it anything. It's just going to be what comes out. And then there'll be pieces of it probably that I will later realize like, oh, this is useful. This is going to actually go into a real first draft kind of thing. Um, so that definitely happened with, with the Gloucester play with the tall tales from Blackburn, just mm-hmm. like, here's a, here are all these stories, all these legends and lore. Let me try dramatizing them just to see what happens and, and what's going to be effective and what's not. So with that play, since it's, uh, you say it's all different types of lore of, yeah. is it just a, is it sort of like a bunch of short plays that you put together or is it just one long play? It really, it, it's a little bit of both. Um, their request was that I focus on three specific stories. Um, there is a famous sea serpent uh, that may or may not have existed in Gloucester for many centuries, uh, known as Cassie, the sea serpent. And there were lots and lots of sightings. And some of those sightings led to really interesting events. So that was one. Um, there's an area of Gloucester called Dogtown that is this strange, mysterious place uh, that was inhabited from like the 1630s to the 1830s uh, and nobody lives there anymore. It's just cellar holes and it's overgrown. Um, but there were witches supposedly there. Um, there were, it was a place where people who kind of lived on the outside of society uh, ended up inhabiting after the, the powerful people kind of moved away. Um, so there were, there were people who had formerly been enslaved. There were people who were unhoused. Um, there were people who today we would call trans, uh, who kind of lived in that area. Um, so that became really interesting and the, the lore and legends, especially the supposed witches that lived there. Uh, and then the third was this weird thing while the witch trials were happening in Salem, there was apparently a ghost army <laughs> that, uh, really set their sights on this one guy, Ebenezer Babson, uh, who had multiple encounters with them, weird encounters with these strange creatures that like, they would shoot them uh, and the creatures would fall down dead and they'd go to investigate and they'd hop up and run away. Um, <laughs> so like just, just bizarre stuff. So those are the three main pieces. So in a sense, it's like three separate stories, but the overarching piece is a piece among the four actors who are performing these stories. And one of them is dead set against telling the sea serpent story because it's inherently dangerous because it's a story that's not over. Cassie, the sea serpent could come back at any moment. Um, so that's, that kind of creates a, a, an overarching idea. Nice. All right. And that goes up in September. 
Yes, September 1st to 24th at Gloucester Stage Company. Awesome. Yeah. So other than that, what else do you have uh, coming up and where can people see your work in a, on a stage in a theater near them? Um, there, I have a bunch of short pieces going up in various places, but uh, that Legend of Sleepy Hollow, it's getting its West Coast premiere uh, at 6th Street Theater in Santa Rosa, California in October, and then a regional premiere uh, at Funky Little Theater Company uh, in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Um, so yeah, so those are happening. And then, you know, fingers crossed that one of those two theaters that just requested Queen of Sadness Chance, one is in Southern California and one is in Florida. So we'll awesome. see. Yeah, I hope that definitely works out. Let you know, definitely let me know if that if yes. they uh if they want to do that. I would love to see that play. Yeah. And there is an audio production that's going to be released next month that Dean Productions in Los Angeles did. So it's an audio version. So similar to, to working through monogamy of swans to figure out how to make it work on an audio basis, uh, had to go back and, and work through some of the, the moments in Queen of Sadness chance to make it work for audio. So, and that was a fun, I was very involved in the rehearsal process and making those changes and so on. So that was fun. Very cool. All right. So where to remind us where people can find you, uh, mm -hmm. so they can know what's going on. Sure. Um, johnminigan.com uh, is my website and there are links uh, to stuff that as it becomes available that are on that website in the, in the onstage uh, page of that site as well as some general information and then my new play exchange page has essentially all of my scripts up for downloading and reading and enjoying and maybe producing <laughs> all right well thanks uh thanks for letting us produce this play i know Devin had a lot of fun with it and shelby she's not here mm -hmm. but um but yeah, they both did a, such a, a fun job with it, and they had a lot of fun recording it, uh, playing with the accents <laughs> and all great. that. Um, That's great. That's uh, great. We definitely did, you know, multiple takes to make sure that we got it as convincing as we could. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, it's funny too because the like I grew up in the Boston area, still live in the Boston area, and I spent so much of my youth like getting rid of my Boston accent and <laughs> avoiding it in my writing and not writing about characters that I grew up with. And I find that I'm finally going kind of back home uh, and thinking about all those folks and incorporating the, their stories. All right. Well, uh, Devin, John, thank you for being here. Uh, thank you for, you know, let, letting us do this play again. And oh, um, thank you, you know, keep creating, keep writing. And definitely if, if Queen of Sad Mischance goes up somewhere, definitely uh, let us know. Uh, shall do. Thank you so much, Jonathan and Devin. Thank you both. Nice talking to you. Good to talk to you. Thank you all for listening, and if you are associated with a theater and you would like to produce the play you heard today on your stage, send an email to gatherbythegostlight at gmail.com or contact the playwright directly at his website, johnminigan.com. And if you would like some cool Gather by the Ghostlight merchandise, t-shirts are available at the merchandise link in the show notes along with the year one and year two books, which are also both available at Amazon. This program is supported in part by the Greater Augusta Arts Council through a grant from its partner agency, the National Endowment for the Arts. Intro and outro music, as always, is provided by artist JK47. And if you enjoy this podcast, maybe you're a longtime listener, or maybe this is the first episode you've ever heard, let us know. Please leave us a rating or a review in all the places that you can. And also be sure to follow Gather by the Ghost Light on social media to stay up to date on new episodes. I'm Jonathan Cook, and as always, stay safe, and I'll see you next time we gather by the ghost lights.
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.